So our passage this morning, uh, Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And it's always fun just to remind ourselves once in a while that what we're reading actually happened, right? So imagine, if you will, well, this is just a short passage, but imagine this taking place in your mind. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the works to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Thank you, Craig. So bear with me and pray for me. I was yelling for three hours last night. And I said that in our prayer group this morning, and there was great concern. But I had to clarify, we were at Catherine's 20-year high school reunion, and it was, it was wonderful. It was just in a venue that was so loud that to be heard as you caught up with one another, you had to yell, and I had to try to keep my voice a little bit for today. So pray for me, bear with me, and don't judge that we are, yes, that old. And I've had this passage circled in my mind since before we began this series, which if you're new to our community, uh, was way back in the fall. And you look at it and go, say, we're in Acts 13. Seriously. Yes. So before the series, though, this, this passage, along with chapter 11, where we first got to see the planting, the birth of the Antioch church, this one was circled because it's truly a model church for, for us and really every church to, to not look at the Antioch church and see it as such a picture for what the, the church truly should look like. It's the first First truly diverse church when the walls have now been broken down. It's the fulfillment of the mission that Jesus gave. His final words, Acts 1.8, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, that's the region surrounding Jerusalem, in Samaria, that was in people not quite like them, and even to the ends of the earth. So Antioch is fulfilling that. It's quite a ways from Jerusalem. Now they're nowhere close to the ends of the earth and they see that they too are called on that same mission. It's not done. In fact, it's just beginning with them. And so they have eyes outward. They have eyes to the fields. They are truly like a greenhouse church. And that's where really all of our core convictions as a church can be seen in these short couple passages we see of the Antioch church and their character, of their conviction, of their life together on mission with Jesus. We see new shoots and deep roots and diverse fruit happening already in this young church. What they knew was so many people still needed to hear about the love of Jesus, His grace, forgiveness, freedom, hope, healing, and the power and provision that He alone offers. So they are going to do something about it. They're not going to wait for the Jerusalem church to give them marching orders. They've been given marching orders by Jesus, and now they are seeking the Holy Spirit for clarity of how to fulfill that mission. And really, there's a shift that happens here in the book of Acts. As the first 12 chapters have primarily centered around Jerusalem, 
the apostles led by Peter and then the mission going into that surrounding region of Judea and Samaria. Now this, this tipping point where Paul, Saul, now Paul becomes the leader, the leading voice of the church as he goes out from Antioch. And Antioch kind of becomes the, the hub church, the true mission church. And it's, it's a neat transition that we'll see now for the rest of Acts, the fulfillment of that last piece of Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And through Paul and Barnabas and John Mark and others, the gospel goes forward throughout to them, the world, as they knew it, all the way to Rome. Missionary Henry Martin, I have this quote up on the screen. He was a missionary in the late, 18, late 1700s, early 1800s to India and to Persia and did some remarkable work, though he died in his low 30s from illness. But he said this, the Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of missions, and the nearer we get to Him, the more intensely missionary we must become. The church in Antioch modeled that. They had the posture of mission. They had soft hearts, bent knees, listening ears, flexible schedules, empty stomachs, and open hands. Take a few words on each of those. I'll just take the first three this morning. By the way, I'm trying something a little bit different with sermon slides. Thanks to Ben Harris for encouragement to give this a shot. I'm going to give you one. And so you'll notice that there is a title a few references that I intend to read or to hit, and then a, a quote that I just read. And a few purposes for this. One is, I guess primary above the rest, is to get you into your Bibles, which most of you do already, whether it's the old-fashioned kind or through an app. And if there was an app that had the sound of flipping pages, I'd be much happier with that. It's just just a comforting sound in a church amongst believers to hear the pages of Scripture turn, and there's very few other books that have pages that are that thin, so it's a distinct, comforting, nostalgic sound, and I'd like to hear plenty of that. So we have Bibles there in the racks. I debated, let me know, I debated putting the, the page number there for you, and uh, there is a table of uh, concordance index there in the Bible, and you can look at that or you can use your app and get to that. So primarily that we'd have Bibles open, that we would get into the Word, that we'd understand kind of how it's put together more fluidly a week in and week out, and maybe even primarily see in context when I pull out a passage or a verse uh, that I Every time I do that, I look into that context and do my best to make sure I'm landing well within the context of what was written. But there before you, you can see it clearly, that everything is measured and tested against God's Word. And so I encourage you to follow along as you feel led. I guess there's uh, some secondary and tertiary benefits to this. You may get a hunch of how much longer this guy is preaching based on where we are in the references checked off, but just a hunch there's not equal spacing between each reference. I also believe this will probably uh, lighten the burden of the slide team. And as we work to build that team and recruit, 
there's one less stumbling block in place. And our slide team can engage with the Word and not needing to track with the guy who's preaching the Word and sometimes jumping all over the map. So give it a shot. If you uh, love it, give thanks to uh, Ben Harris for this encouragement. If you hate it, uh, you can let him know the same. (laughs) Commercial over. Now back to the show. Lost people matter to God, and he wants them saved. One of our key core convictions, uh, also in line with the Alliance and the heartbeat of the Alliance for the last 125 years. Lost people matter to God, and he wants them found. The Antioch Church wasn't just convicted by this. They were convinced of it. The experience of Christ's grace and mercy and salvation was fresh upon them. They were, they were new shoots, but already growing deeply and ready to see diverse fruit amongst them and beyond. These were the first truly diverse believers meeting together in the same body. Even the list that we heard Craig read, we don't know everything about each one of them, but there's hints and there's glimpses of how diverse they were. They were Gentiles and Jews meeting together, Africans and Asians, Greeks and Middle Easterners. Uh, Antioch was one of the leading cities in the region of the day, nearly 500,000. We looked into some of the uh, diversity and affluency and influence of uh, the city a few weeks ago when we looked at chapter 11 and we first saw the Antioch church. But this church was truly responding to the grace and mercy of Jesus and convicted and convinced that lost people matter. Because if God loved even them this deeply, that He truly loved all peoples and wanted all peoples to be saved. This wasn't a Jewish religion. This was the kingdom of God expanding to the ends of the earth. Tim Keller in his book Evangelism summarized the Antioch church this way. He said the concept of worldwide missions was born in this diverse group. And it shouldn't surprise us. As walls are breaking down across barriers and uh, ethnic lines and social lines and cultural lines that hadn't been broken down ever, it makes sense that now the gospel is going forward through uh, this diverse and open-minded, outward-looking church. They had soft hearts. That's the first posture of mission. Soft hearts. If we forget or take for granted God's love and pursuit of us, if we forget our own lostness, then our hearts grow hardened and calloused, both to the evil we see around us, both to the uncertainty that we experience maybe on a daily basis, the tension we live with. We look inward, not outward. And it's why throughout this series I've urged us as we've come to see the amazing grace and saving power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit enter in to the most, well, the darkest places and the most unreached places and the most unlikely people. I've urged us to see ourselves as the beggar, the cripple, sitting by the gate, as the Ethiopian eunuch who's on a spiritual journey, ultimately to be told, no, you, you cannot enter yet to be pursued by Jesus and to come to be saved. I've encouraged us to even see us like a hardened Pharisee 
that Saul was, believing he was doing God's will, but so blinded by his own pride, even as a religious yet lost Gentile like we saw in recent chapters, Cornelius, a God-fearer, but reaching, stretching, trying to find God and not, not seeing fully and not understanding completely the gospel. If we see ourselves as each one of these, it keeps us humble, keeps our hearts soft. And then from that posture, with that soft heart, we, like the Antioch church, have bended knees. That's the second piece of this posture of mission. They had a posture of prayer, a commitment to both corporate and individual prayer. They were worshiping together, which we see as the hallmark of the early church. They were constantly meeting with one another, even enjoying one another's company. So they're meeting together, and what it would have primarily been a prayer service, an unscripted prayer service, where certainly there would have been praise and singing and hymns and psalms, words being shared, scriptures being read. Maybe the Lord's table would would begin or end their gathering, but it was primarily bathed in prayer, both impromptu, uh, corporate, collective, and, and likely in groups, praying both for needs within the body and then needs within their city and their community and praying even for the mission to be fulfilled through them. And that's where we meet them at this point in Acts 13, praying deeply for the mission to go forward, for them to make an impact for the kingdom. So intense are they focused, they're, they're, they're collectively fasting together as they seek the Lord in prayer. And I'll leave that piece off till next week or beyond. So you can wait for that one. This posture of prayer and corporate worship, if it's from that place that they hear the Holy Spirit speak to them and commission Paul and Barnabas. I don't believe it was an audible voice, though God is free to speak in that way. The Holy Spirit is free to proclaim and make God's will known. I believe in what we see from this early church that they heard through one of the prophets who was present. The Holy Spirit's directive to a prophet who brings it to the body because they continued to test it. They continued to pray and fast together, seeking confirmation that this was the Lord's will. I mean, imagine, what, imagine as they gather, think about this early church, like any church planter who would start a, a, a new church and see God's Spirit descend and growth happen and people come to know the Lord. And then Barnabas comes, Right, the son of encouragement, maybe the, the, one of the greatest encouragers in the scriptures as we know it. He runs off to Tarsus and finds his buddy Saul, brings Saul back to begin to teach within this church. Maybe one of the greatest teachers and evangelists our world has ever known. These two men are in that little church plant. And they're praying, Lord, help us fulfill your mission. What would you have us do? We want to hear you and obey you. And at some point in that gathering or in days of gathering together, one of the prophets says, I believe the Lord is asking us to commission and send Paul and Barnabas. No wonder they continue to pray and to fast. Are you sure about that? These are, these are the best leaders we've got. And you're asking us to send them out into the fields. You see, they too, like a greenhouse willing to send into the fields to see that harvest and the multiplication of the kingdom. But they sought confirmation as they prayed. As an aside, 
How can we be certain that we've heard from God? I know a number of you have experiences where you believe and have heard, you have heard the audible voice of God. And I've heard the spectrum of that. I, I believe that too at, at times in my life. But to say that others could have heard it if they were in the room, uh, I wouldn't go that far. There's times in Scripture we see God speaking out of the heavens, out of the clouds. God is not limited for how He will speak. And so when we sense, Lord, I, I've, he- I've heard You. I've certainly heard You deeply on my heart. How do we know that that's the Lord speaking? How do we know that's His Word to us? Well, I guess in one easy test, is it hard? Is it a difficult word? Is it something that we wouldn't have thought of on our own? Is it going to cost us? Is it going to move us out of our comfort zone? Is it going to cause us to stretch, to take faith-filled risk in alignment with the mission that we all share? Not always, but that might be one test to, Lord, is this your word? Is, is it going to stretch me, keep me humble, grow me, and test me? Even when we're, we become to be certain, Lord, this is your will. I've, I've tested it against your word. I've brought it to others. And I know you've called me to this. The pray, praying doesn't stop, does it? The bended knees don't stop. In fact, they continue as we progress. Lord, I've heard you. Now help me obey you. And that, I believe, is the prayer of this Antioch church. They've heard from the Lord. Lord, you've spoken. Holy Spirit, you've made clear what we are to do. Help us to obey you. And then there's a next step, isn't it? Help us to praise you. Because we can obey and not like any bit of it. We can know God has spoken. We can trust him and obey him and be bitter about it. Will we worship him for it? Lord, if your will has been made known, I give you praise and thanks, even if it's hard. Even if sending my friends and praying for their blessing as they go, I don't like any part of it, I worship you. Your will has been made known and clear. Isn't that often the progression? I mean, it is for me in my prayer life. Lord, I want to hear from you. Speak, Lord, I want to hear you. Help me to obey you. Hey, Lord, I've, I've heard you. Help me to obey and trust you. Help me to praise you and give you thanks even when it's hard. I'd like to say that I progressed through that quickly. <laughs> but often there's weeks and months in between those steps. And I'm assuming that's similar for you if you're praying bold prayers like that. Teach us, Lord, to progress that way more quickly. We've heard you. Help us obey and trust. Help us move to praise and worship. And even for this Antioch church, we're not told that this all happened in one service at one time. That they continue to seek the Lord and move, I believe, on that same progression. The Antioch church had soft hearts and bended knees. And they had listening ears. This is a phrase that we use in our house often with our young ones. Are your ears listening? I know you can hear me, but are you listening? There is a huge difference. And since we have a good, good father, and we are like his children, we do the same. We can hear him, but are we listening? Do we have listening ears? That's a posture. Jesus said something about that. Though you hear me, you're not listening. You're not understanding. Your hearts are hard. See, they go together. 
they're connected. And this, this church has listening ears. I think as much as anything, this is why they, the Antioch church is such a model, not just for us, but for all churches. It's not about the number of their mission budget or the number of missionaries they sent or who they were. Look at us. We sent Paul and Barnabas. Look at the harvest in the fields. It's not about the number of churches that they helped plant by sending their best, by continuing to support financially. All those things are significant. But the measure, I believe, of this church that if anything I could emulate and we could emulate would be this. They knew how to hear God's voice and they obeyed it. Is there anything more essential for a church, for us in our life, than this? To be able to hear, to truly listen, to obey and trust. These are two bigger questions to answer in one sermon. Be like saying, hey, let me teach you how to speak Spanish in the next 45 minutes. It's going to take more than that, and it's going to take a little bit of practice. In fact, it helps to be immersed with one who speaks fluently. By the way, if you are uncertain if God speaks today, if even some of the things I'm saying already sound odd or questionable, I would encourage you to rewind to the beginning of this series. I think I've addressed this very clearly, but I can save you some time. That's hours upon hours of preaching in through Acts so far. Let me summarize. God speaks. He is not done. He continues to speak and make His will known today. The Antioch Church is insightful for us. It's helpful for us. I believe every part of their posture is what allowed them, enabled them, put them in position to hear God's Word and obey it, beginning with their soft hearts and their commitment to bended knees, to praying and to gathering, to opening up their schedules, and we'll look at this next week, to be willing to sacrifice for empty stomachs to grow their hunger. Knowing and living God's Word is vital, and this church is turned toward and tuned into God's Word. It's a part of what it means to listen. Perhaps they've heard from a prophet speak God's Word, but this church was committed to knowing and living out God's Word. One of the foremost teachers in the world was in their city with them proclaiming the truth of God's Word and seeing how it was fulfilled by Jesus. That's why Barnabas went to get Saul. Saul's understanding of Old Testament Scripture was second to none. And for the last decade or so, he's been invested into growing and learning and seeing the fulfillment in Jesus of everything that was written. That's been his equipping. He would write to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Everything God has spoken through the law and the prophets is fulfilled in Jesus. It finds its answer. That is the centerpiece of all of Paul's teaching and preaching. Even of all of his evangelistic messages. Let me tell you what you are seeking. 
You are seeking an answer. You are seeking answers. And the fulfillment is in Jesus. And it's been written about for thousands of years. Let me show you. The Antioch church was being equipped by the very best. They were tuned into and turned toward God's word. As a, as a brief attempt at a distinction, because Luke says there were teachers and there were prophets. Prophets speak on behalf of God. They reveal maybe something that was unknown previously. Teachers take God's word and explain it, illuminate it, help understanding come. That's far too brief of a description, and there's been debates throughout the centuries of those distinctions. I don't think Scripture means to truly answer that and put things into categories and boxes like we would like them to be in. But within the body, at this early church, are prophets and teachers, men and women who are speaking on behalf of God, whether signs or wonders, words of knowledge, visions and dreams, and there are teachers revealing God's Word explaining it, and the two are in harmony together. God speaks. He is not done speaking. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God is not limited in how He speaks, but He speaks in special ways, primarily to the Word, the Scriptures, and Jesus. That's what Hebrews 1 says. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He's appointed the heir of all things and through whom also He created the world. Right in harmony with Paul's main centerpiece truth of teaching. Jesus is the fulfillment of all things. He is the revelation of God. The Scriptures, the written Word, give testimony to Jesus, the living Word, the Logos. Jesus and Paul clearly taught this. The church in Antioch clearly believed it. All of life is measured by and against Jesus. And if Jesus is the greatest missionary, the one who has come the furthest, given up the most, loved the deepest, then He becomes our model, our aspiration. At minimum, we're called as a starting point to go across a street to send and bless Those like the Smiths with a call to go across an ocean. To pray for the harvest in the fields. To pray for the lost that they would be found. These are starting places for God's people. With Jesus as the model, the greatest missionary. All of of life is measured against and by Jesus. God has spoken in Him and through Him. The revelation of God's will. The fulfillment of His promises. But that doesn't mean that God is done speaking because Jesus' ministry is done on earth. He continued to speak through the apostles as they made Jesus known. And we have the rest of the New Testament as a declaration. We are living in the same age. We are the same, in the same commission and the same mission as the early church to expand the kingdom until Christ returns. We are, we are under the same and it has not changed. God continues to speak. That does not mean that the Bible tells us everything we want to know about everything. As we'll say 
often it tells us all that we need to know, but not all that we want to know. And even in this passage, we do have to guess how did they receive and hear the voice of the Spirit? Through study I land on, I believe it came through one of the prophets in their midst, and it was tested and affirmed. It does not mean God could not have spoken audibly. But it's things like this that will come up again and again against in Scripture and say, I'd like to know more about that. I wish there were more details. But the Scripture reveals all that we need to know. The Scripture is our highest authority. Nothing contradicts it. But it's not our only authority. Not all knowledge is in Scripture. It's not intended to be. We are intended to discern what God reveals in other ways. If you're going to become a heart surgeon, the Scripture may be your inspiration, but it's not going to be your textbook. I don't want a doctor who's only studied the Scriptures performing open-heart surgery on me. I want him to have gained other knowledge from other sources. I would love it if he had the inspiration of God's Word, and that was his motivation for bringing healing into a life. I'm sure we could go on and on with with that and good conversation starters. It should go without saying, and I guess it's a bit ironic, isn't it, that the, the church in Antioch that was so committed to God's Word couldn't turn to God's Word and find an answer with, of, or confirmation of whether or not they should send Paul or Barnabas. It doesn't say that. The Scripture doesn't ha- isn't a road map for our life. I grew up hearing that, and I was very confused when I started looking in it, trying to find it, the wisdom of, should I marry Catherine? Should I pursue ministry? Have you looked into the Word to try to find an answer of, should you buy this home or that home? Should you move to this city or that city? Should you start this career or go to this school? It's not there. It's not a roadmap. It doesn't have those details. It does guide us. It does lead us. It does remind us what our heart should be. It shows us what our posture should be. But if God's promise is that He is with us and will never leave us, that He's a God who speaks and makes Himself known, then he is still speaking through the power of the Spirit. And all of that, if any part of this makes you a little bit uncomfortable, I should say this. God will never contradict himself. God speaks in perfect harmony. There's no discord, there's no dissonance. Using our friends the Smiths as an example, Jeff's testimony is that God spoke to him and called him to sell everything and give to the poor. And as he began trusting him and pursuing that call, God opened the door to Zimbabwe and again and again confirmed it and made it clear so that his testimony today and their family's testimony, if it could be summarized in a sentence, would be God has called us to sell everything and move to Zimbabwe and serve the people there. No, he would not testify that he had an audible voice spoken or that he turned to any specific passage in Scripture to receive that, yet he is certain of it and they are trusting and obeying as they go. God never contradicts himself. He would never say, you know, God, you could never say, God has spoken to me and told me that I don't need to give any of my money to His work. He just wants my energy and my time. Nope. Well, God has called me to be a missionary, but my my wife won't go, so He's now called me to leave my wife and go on the mission field. Nope. 
We must love and pursue God's Word, the Scriptures, not only to gain guidance and wisdom and direction. It is full of that, though it is not specific. One of the primary reasons we need to hear God's Word and know it so deeply is so that we can, when, when false words come, we discern it quickly. It sounds like a minor chord in a major scale. It's, it's dissonance to us. We have an adversary, the enemy, who speaks in partial truths. Oh, moving as a missionary. Well, yeah, if your wife won't go, you should go. That's a partial truth. God's Word has called us to be willing to give all and to bring our, our whole tithe into God's house for His work to be done. I know culture has changed, but He calls us to test Him in our giving, in our generosity. He would not call us to set that command aside in order to make up for it in energy and effort and time. That should be dissonance. From the beginning, our enemy has been speaking in partial truths. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. John 10, verse 3. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Jeff preached last week on this picture of this imagery of the shepherd going ahead of and before the sheep. They knew his voice so they followed. He didn't drive them and beat them and try to herd them. He just went before them because he lived his life with them and they knew his voice. And Jesus speaks of this imagery When he has brought out all his own, this good shepherd, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. God still speaks today. He will not contradict himself and be certain of this. The scriptures are closed. There's no new revelation. God will not change what has been declared. And so though he may speak through a prophet or a word of knowledge, through a vision or through a dream, it will be in harmony with his word in every way. Often we can be uncertain of that. And with soft hearts and humility, we come to the church. We come to brothers and we come to sisters. Just like what I believe we see in the Antioch church. I believe God has spoken. Maybe it's Brother Lucius who stands up. I believe God has spoken and, and wants me to tell you that we are to commission Paul and Barnabas to, to go out into the fields to preach the gospel in every city, maybe, maybe all the way to Rome and back. Maybe that was Lucius expanding on a word, but he brings it to the body and he tests it. Could this be? What say you, body? Is there resonance here? Is there harmony? Clearly, you could go nowhere in Scripture and say that's in discord. It's in full alignment with Jesus and his mission to go. But he didn't give that directive. So, Lord, is this you? And the body tests it. And they pray and they fast. And pray prayers like, Lord, confirm this. And pray prayers like, Lord, if we're wrong on this, then close that door. Make it impossible for Paul and Barnabas to go. And guess what? He answered that prayer too. Stay tuned. They're on their way and their testimony will be the Holy Spirit would not let us enter in to this region but directed us elsewhere. If God is speaking today, this is the right way to test it. So often I, I hear just declarations. Oh, God told me this. How was that tested within the body in humility? 
We come and we say, I believe the Lord is asking me of this. The Smith's family's journey has been years long to get to this point. And it's been brought again and again to family, to friends, to the body, seeking confirmation and looking for testimony. And God has done that again and again. And that's how they can get to the testimony of God has spoken, called, and we are going in faith. We can summarize it shortly, but it's a process. It takes time and energy to discern the specific call and will of God. And He won't always speak in every situation. At times we walk in faith in keeping step with Him. Listening ears is a posture that takes time. Intimate relationships aren't rushed. Which is one of the reasons I'm going to end this sermon now. So that we can respond. Because I believe that each one of you is, is here seeking the Lord for something. I hope that's true. And if you're cocking your head and going, okay, what have I been praying about recently? What's the desire of my heart? At least turn it into prayer in this moment. Some of you, I know your story and I know how specific it is. And you've been seeking, Lord, speak. I just want to know. I'm uncertain and I'm unclear. I'm hesitant. Others of you have heard from the Lord and your prayer needs to be, Lord, help me obey you. Because what I think you're asking me to do is hard and I don't want to. Others of you will need to probably in this moment say, Lord, I I guess I'm speaking a a general prayer. I want to hear you. I don't want to miss anything that you would want to speak to me. Help me hear you and help me obey. And that can be just as powerful as the specific searching for God's will and leading. And I would hope that every one of us is in that place and everyone is likely different. They will come together in a body because that's the God that we serve. He's brought you here for a reason. This day, this moment, this time. I pray that some of these words resonate, but if there is one thing that you walk away with, I hope it's God's word to you in these moments. It's why we set up our service this way, that we would turn to scriptures, that we would open our hearts to them, and then we would respond to what the Lord is asking of us. And so we'll sing, or at least create space to sing. Some of you will need to continue to pray and have a hard time even vocalizing because God is actively speaking to you and confirming or clarifying something right now. Bring it to one another. Bring it to the body. As you come to the table, we, in this way, we gather together in communion with our Lord and with one another. It's an, it's an image just like the early church of we are in this together. We need one another. We come to Jesus and say, above all, Jesus, we need you. And we remember that and declare that as we come to your table, your body broken for us, your blood shed for us, your life given for me. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, this table is for you. Come as you are ready as we respond. I'll bring, invite the team to come and be prepared to lead us. Again, this is creating space. As we sing like the early church, giving testimony, giving declaration, singing prayers. But we also receive. We receive from the voices around us. We receive from not being alone. You can sing in your car and sing just as the same words in worship. But being with one another in the body is something completely different. It's holy good. 
You know, when we were in Kauai a few weeks ago, celebrating 15 years and celebrating a master's and a full season, we did a lot of hiking. We really came back rested, but I think we hiked well over 20 miles and it was just invigorating. It was beautiful. We enjoyed it. We found that there are two kinds of hikers out there primarily. There's hikers that are solely, solely going for the destination. They're on the mission to get there, to see it, to accomplish it. And then there's hikers who hike for the hike. And it's very obvious who's who. Most of my life, I think, I spend hiking for the destination. A vision of what's to come. Maybe you're like that. And spiritually, we're called to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. If there's a vista at the end, if there's a waterfall or a lake, it's a bonus. So the process is also life-giving of seeking the Lord and His answer in His timing, in His will, in His way. Be patient and wait upon Him like the early church did. Here's a prayer. You can begin. Lord, help us keep in step with You. Holy Spirit, You are present with us now. Remind us. Speak, Lord, for Your children are here listening. Remind us, even when we are not aware of Your presence or hearing Your voice, that You are with us. Teach us to wait upon You. Soften our hearts. Bend our knees. Incline our ears to you alone. Amen.